I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Has Barclays' newly launched Smart Investor website been a dumb move? As the new university term approaches, how can today's students avoid a financial crisis? And are active funds the way forward when stock markets are going sideways? Welcome to The Money Show, the FT's weekly podcast about personal finance and investing. I'm Claire Barrett, FT Money Editor, bringing you this week's money news. Many users of Barclays' very popular stockbroking service have been smarting since the August bank holiday weekend, when around 200,000 customers were migrated to its new Smart Investor DIY investment platform. However, many readers of FT Money and the Investors Chronicle, our sister publication, are unhappy about IT problems and other changes to the service. Joining me now to discuss are Kate Bearley and Emma Adjiman from the Investors Chronicle's personal finance team. Welcome both. Okay. So starting with you, Kate, tell us what's gone wrong with Smart Investor. So Barclays Stockbroker is obviously one of the oldest stockbrokers in the UK. So this week overhauled its platform entirely. So it's migrated all of these customers over to its new platform. But for a start, it's suffered some major teething issues. Uh, teething issues, putting it lightly. Customers have not received logins, so couldn't access the site for a start. Those who could get in were, were shown blank accounts and error messages. Customers with no Barclays current account being asked to enter logins for their current account. And there have also been some issues with inconsistent stock prices. In the end, Barclays dealing with such a huge volume of calls at the start of the week that they had to close their online chat to deal with it. So Barclays is working on all of those issues. But in fact, that would be bad enough. But in fact, people are already angry with this new platform, which they say is kind of alienating the traditional stockbroking base of customers mm. uh, who really, you know, did really like Barclays. So there are a lot of things that you can't now do, which more sophisticated traders and maybe more frequent share traders really want to be able to do or really liked about the old site. So you can't trade certain shares, for example, US shares, some more uh, complex product like covered warrants. You can no longer manage spouses' accounts or third third-party accounts. You can't see things like Eisen codes anymore, which are really important to people who are more frequent or enthusiastic share traders. So Barclays says that many of these things are still available in its research centre, but customers are saying it's much harder to find these things and they're having problems with it. So for all those customers who, for example, hold things Barclays no longer supports, US shares, for example, they were given warning that the new system wouldn't support this and Barclays said they might like to transfer out. But in fact, there is now such a backlog in customers trying to leave that many people have actually had their accounts essentially frozen for long periods of time in many cases and they can't trade. And people wanting to leave now are being quoted 
between six um, six weeks and three months to move Gosh. out of the service. And that's obviously a huge problem for people who are out of the market and, and worried about what's happening to their money in the meantime. Well, indeed. And, and the stream of comments on the stories that the Investors Chronicle um, and those that you've um, helped the FT with are very revealing to read. People have uh, are talking about experiencing all of the problems um, that you've mentioned there. I was pleased to see that there was one wife who said she couldn't manage her husband's account. Yes. Um, so it works both ways. But what explanation or indeed compensation has Barclays been offering to its disgruntled customers? Well, so Barclays is saying that for a start, some of the things that customers are complaining about, it's saying, you know, it still exists on the site and it's just a different look and feel. And if they you know, go into the research centre, they'll be able to find some of the things that they want. They're saying that for anyone locked out of accounts due to not receiving login details or mm. maybe receiving the wrong ones, they're saying they're trying to get those sent out, new login details sent out as quickly as possible, first class post. They're saying that they're trying to deal with this backlog of transfer outs, but it is obviously difficult. And they, they're saying that they're still aiming to complete these transfer outs in in the usual time frame. So it depends on what you hold, but maybe around four weeks for shares and two weeks for cash. And in, in terms of compensation, that, that nothing has been said about that. They're saying that they're just trying to deal with these issues and, and work through them. Right, well, a moving story, clearly. But aside from the IT issues, many wealthier customers are actually very upset about the way the new platform charges are calculated. Can you shed some light on this? Yeah, well, I, the ethos of, of this switch is to try and appeal, really, to a broader range of investors. So the more kind of traditional share investors are saying that this really does not benefit them because in the past the charging structure was a flat fee of £36 a year to trade shares and it was a percentage-based fee on your assets to trade funds but that has now changed so all assets are charged on a percentage-based fee and the minimum you'll be charged is £48 a year. Right. So for someone with a very large portfolio of shares in the past they would have been charged £36 to hold those and now they will be charged a significant amount more so people are kind of up in arms about that and it's particularly uh, not beneficial or disadvantageous to um, those holding large portfolios of shares Sure, can you give us an example of how much more it might cost? Yeah, so for example say you had a £500,000 portfolio, so you're lucky enough to have one of those invested all in shares and you make 12 deals a year so in the past, you would have paid a fixed annual fee of £36 for those assets and you'd pay dealing fees of £11.95 per trade. And that comes to total cost of £179.40. Right. Now, under the new model with Smart Investor, currently they are offering a cap for, for Barclays customers to ease the transition. So Barclays customers will actually only be charged on £200,000 worth of assets. So at the moment, it's still more expensive. You pay an annual fee of £200 plus a lower fee of £6 per deal, it makes a total cost of £272. So that's almost £100 more expensive than under the old model. And after three years when this offer expires, in fact, the cost of that portfolio would rise to £572. Right, okay, so a significant difference. Now, Emma, turning to you, you've been focusing on how other retail um, DIY investment platforms are hoping to woo disgruntled Barclays customers. Give us a flavour of what they're offering. 
Well, there are a number of platforms that offer the services that Barclays no longer does. So, for example, trade in international shares. There's lots of different examples. Hargreaves Lansdowne, Charles Stanley Direct, TD Direct Invest and AJ Bell, IG and an interactive investor. But to take a few um, in detail... AJ Bell, an interactive investor, charge around £10 plus 1% foreign exchange fee to trade international shares, while IG Markets has no foreign exchange fee and it charges a minimum of $15 to trade US shares and a minimum of €10 to trade European shares. So, you know, a number of options for investors who who want to be able to trade international shares to consider. In in other areas, for example, complex investments such as covered warrants, uh, there are also different options. A couple of examples are the Share Centre. It charges its standard fee of £7.50 for deals valued at less than £750 Mm -hmm. or 1% for deals valued over that amount. Meanwhile, low-cost broker exo.co.uk charges just £5.95 to trade covered warrants. And another area that is, you know, you've mentioned the comments in the, the articles we've written. One of the comments that comes up a lot is that people have been very unhappy about the ability to manage a spouse's account that's yeah. been cut. But actually, there are loads of alternatives to this, and the majority of them don't charge any extra to use the service. Examples include AJ Bell, Alliance Trust Savings, Charles Stanley Direct, Hargreaves, Interactive Investor, IG, The Share Centre, and Self Trade. And that's not all of them, there's others as well. Managing an account via power of attorney is another area that Barclays is now only allowing investors to do via telephone, but many people find it more easy to do online. And actually, again, the majority of platforms will allow you to do this for no extra cost. And finally, um, the ability to manage an account via a bare trust arrangement. Um, And that's something that actually is a little bit more patchy. Not all platforms offer it, but there are still a number that do. Um, examples include AJ Bell, Hargreaves Lansdowne, IG Markets and Self-Trade. Well, thank you very, very much there to Emma and Kate from the Investors Chronicle. You can read all the latest developments on this story in the money section of the FT Weekend newspaper this Saturday. And to read Emma's piece about alternative platforms for investors who can no longer get the services they require from the new service, check out this week's issue of the Investors Chronicle. It's available from all good news agents from Friday. The new university term is about to begin and families up and down the country are preparing to pack off their undergraduates. But how will they cope financially? And is the high cost of a degree really worth it? Joining me in the FT studio to discuss is Lindsay Cook, the FT's money mentor columnist. Welcome, Lindsay. So student debt is a growing political issue. Today's graduates face average debts of well over £50,000 by the time they leave university um, and the interest rates are going up all the time. How is this affecting young people's choices? It's not having as big an effect as you might expect. The number of people applying for university this year was down about 4%. Hmm. Quite a bit of that was down to people not applying for nursing courses because the bursaries are no longer there. And also fewer people from outside the EU were applying because they're worried about... I wonder um, why. (laughs) Yes, they they don't know whether they'll be able to stay, etc. People are concerned... Parents probably more than the students because, well, 75% of students or graduates don't pay back their fees because they're cancelled after 30 years. It's quite horrifying that you've got this in the background and 75% of um, graduates don't earn enough to pay the money back. 
even more concerning is in the years you're at university. The day you start, as soon as you get your student loan, you start paying interest. And typically, over a three-year course, you've paid £5,700 worth of interest by the time you leave university. It then slows down, unless you're earning a shed load of money, but it does affect people and it affects the way they decide what they're going to do. There aren't enough two-year courses yet because there has been... I've seen quite a bit of demand saying, mm. where are they? Because we, we'd rather work harder and have shorter holidays, but very few universities are providing those yet. Well, another structural change um, that you've written about in your piece is that more young people are choosing to stay at home and study at a university near their parents' house so that they don't have to pay the high cost of accommodation away from home. Yes, well, if you go to a London university and you are pay the, the costs of living in accommodation. There's a majority of accommodation is now provided by companies, commercial companies, rather than universities themselves. And typically, these cost in London more, just the accommodation costs cost more than the £11,002 maximum you get for living in London away from home. Which is, you know, unbelievable that that's more than that. And obviously, if you're a parent who's earning more than £60,000, then your child will be able to borrow less. Another fact that you detail in the piece. So for many students, studying abroad could actually be something really worth investigating. Absolutely. Students started to do this because there weren't enough places. They got straight A's or A stars and they got fantastic academic records, but they couldn't still get a place, say, at medical school. So there are courses in Bulgaria, Romania, Germany in English. They count as much. If you come, if you learn there and come here to practice medicine, they count as much, particularly because you're a if English is your first language. In Germany, for example, there are no tuition fees. You may pay, for example, €80 Euros per semester administration charge. And one university I was looking at said that living costs were likely to be £600 per term, €600 Euros per term, which is way, way, way cheaper than here. Mm, very interesting. Obviously, you'd have to raise money yourself to to finance that. You couldn't get a UK student loan to finance a foreign degree. However, working during term time seems to be the norm for most UK students nowadays. What advice would you give those who are about to start a part-time job? Look early. Quite often, the best jobs are at the Students' Union and everybody's after those, about 70% of students now try to get work. Now, they might do it in term time or in the holidays, but they're trying to get work. A lot go into retail because there's lots of weekend jobs and summer jobs in retail. You will have tax deducted at source. You know, you don't have to earn 11500 to have tax deducted. You have to claim it back. If you want to get it before April, you have to... Um, download the P50 form from the HMRC. You pay national insurance over £157 a week earnings. I suppose it goes towards your eventual pension, but that's not much of a joy at this stage. All work should be considered in terms of your long-term CV for getting a proper job. It shows you can apply yourself. It shows you can do jobs that are probably menial, that you don't love. And if you can get a bump, if you move from being an ordinary fry server to uh, <laughs> a shift manager or something like that and lots of students do do this because they're bright and they're taking advantage of probably but that shows you've got application 
Well, thanks very much there to Lindsay Cook, the FT's money mentor. You can read her cover feature this week, How Students Can Avoid a Financial Crisis, online from Friday at ft.com slash money or in this FT Weekend's newspaper. Finally, do sideways markets make more of a case for active fund management? Active managers who charge investors a premium for their stock picking services have in many cases seen their performance trumped by cheaper, passive funds that simply track the market. FT Money has covered both sides of this debate and joining me now to discuss is Micah Curry, FT Money columnist and investment director at Fidelity, who is perhaps unsurprisingly fighting the corner of the active manager. <laughs> Welcome, Micah. Hi, Claire. So in your last two columns for us, you've made a strong case as to why investors should be cautious about abandoning active managers in favour of passive index tracking funds. Why is this? Yes, I guess few of your listeners will feel very sorry for the active managers now that they've picked up the baton from the bankers as the next in line for regulatory scrutiny. And the arguments are really well rehearsed on both sides. The active managers come under fire for the fees they charge and for the fact that very few active managers actually manage to outperform the index. Passive funds, as we know, by their very nature, won't outperform the index once we take the fees off. But the key thing that I'm looking at at the moment, and that's quite interesting, is this phenomenon of a sideways market. And something we've seen over the past year, the market really is acting a bit like a crab. It's shuffling sideways. And a passive fund, by its very design, is not going to deliver any outperformance. It's going to track that market going nowhere. A good active manager, and there are good active managers, especially especially in the UK where we've got stock pickers like Nick Train of Linzel Train, Dan Nichols of Old Mutual, Mark Slater, uh, the late Jim Slater's son, can find those winners. And in a time when investors are desperate for returns because we know interest rates are at record lows and if the market continues this trend, it's not something new. As markets do go sideways from time to time. You really want to be with that stock picker who can roll up their sleeves and find those elusive returns. Okay, so let's assume that markets do tread water for longer. What evidence is there that active managers or stock pickers can deliver outperformance in this type of a market? It's a good question, and it's a question a lot of your readers have asked me. There's a lot of research around. The most notable piece of research is from a chap called Robert Hagstrom. He looked at the zombie market from 1975 to 1982, and he tried to find stocks that outperformed within the S&P 500. What he found was quite interesting. Interesting. Over short term periods, like one year, he found fewer stocks. Over the longer term, he found quite a notable amount of stocks that outperformed. At Fidelity, our equity analyst team under the steer of the brilliant Paris Thanand took that research a step further and they looked at four markets. They looked at Japan, Asia, the US and the UK and they found something similar. Over the longer term, there are stocks that are able to double their return or in this case they delivered returns of 75%. If you need more evidence, over that zombie market of 1975 to 1982, Warren Buffett, who's arguably the world's best-known stock picker, managed on aggregate to deliver 34% returns a year. So it is possible to, to deliver that type of outperformance. And I think there are three things that we can conclude from this research is, one, over the long term, the average matters less, even if that average is a market going nowhere. Second thing, good stock pickers can deliver in flat markets. And the third thing really is that 
fund managers and stock pickers need to invest in companies. They need to be in it for the long term. They can't trade stocks. Okay, I'm I'm, I'm tickled by the idea of um, of Paris doing research into zombies. But what makes you believe that markets will continue to drift sideways? Well, one word really, quantitative easing. Quantitative easing has meant that over the last 10 years, it's been a good time to be a stock market investor because that artificial stimulus from central banks has been the tide that has lifted all Mm. boats. That has been played out now. And and the key thing is we really need a little bit of good inflation for stocks to grind higher. And as central banks in, in the developed world, in the U.S., the U.K., Europe will tell you, the one thing that's missing is inflation, that a good inflation that sees stock markets go higher. Now, I believe that's down to structural challenges that central banks can't do anything about. An aging population with less money to spend, rising inequality, this rise in self-employment, freelancers, contractors, gig workers, the delivery drivers, Uber drivers earning less, less money to spend means prices aren't going to grind upwards. Central banks, as we always say, central banks can print money, but they can't print people. And if we have this tepid growth, we have low inflation, they're not going to turn off those taps of monetary stimulus but it's going to be less effective. So what will we have? We'll have rates staying low. We'll have markets going nowhere. And there's some obvious winners and losers from this. The obvious winners, borrowers. The obvious losers, passive funds, tracking a market that's going nowhere. Okay, well, thanks very much there to Micah Curry of Fidelity. You can read her column, Fund Managers Need to Invest in Stocks, Not Just Trade, in this week's edition of FT Money or online now at ft.com slash money. And please remember, the FT Money podcast is a general discussion about investment and isn't giving advice or promoting any particular products. That's it from the FT Money show. To get in touch with our team of financial experts, email us money at ft.com, tweet us at FT Money or comment on our articles online at ft.com slash money. We will be back next week at the usual time. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. Goodbye.